0: Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Welcome to Money Talk, the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a proud member of the Barron's Top Advisor List and the Financial Times Top 300 List know the difference now here are your hosts dave spano and mark oswald can you
1: believe it guys it is uh, september 28th i mean we are just about ready to roll into october uh welcome to annex wealth management's money talk team tech trust i'm danny clayton Hey, Mark Oswald. Good morning, guys. Derek Felsky. Good morning. David J. Spano. Uh, the week that was, we like to start the show with the week in review, and we were just kind of sitting here before we got on the air, and we were like, well, what the heck did happen this week? Right. There were, there were plenty of things. It just, were any ground shakers? Well, of course,
2: we had all of the airs been sucked out of the room when it comes to the economic reports because of the circus in Washington, D.C., and it's, it's certainly something that you have to pay attention to, even though uh, you know we like to stay grounded in the economic numbers, we like to stay grounded in how that, what that means to the financial plan of an individual. But you can't, you can't just walk away from it, and we have to pay attention to it. And what does it mean to any potential changes to fiscal policy, to trade policy, to economic policy? Those are the things, that's the big picture stuff that we're going to look at. And then, of course, what happens with everything else that goes along, which is what could happen, You know, I I think let's start with a misunderstanding that I in a conversation that I had uh, yesterday when they frankly is a smart person. And they said, if he gets impeached, who then is president? And, And okay, let's explain what that means. There is there's an impeachment and then there is a conviction. Let's start with what an impeachment
3: is. And we're a long way away from that. I mean, when you're talking about an impeachment, you're talking about an accusation and then there's an inquiry and then there's ultimately a a vote within the House of Representatives to recommend an impeachment to the Senate. But then you need a lot of votes on the Senate side. You need two-thirds majority. We're a long way from anybody backing up a truck to the White House and, and a change in power. I think it does lead, Dave, to uncertainty, and that's always the market that we are in. You have this idea of what could happen next. we got a 2020 election coming coming down the road now a year, about, about a year, a year from now right yep. you know you start to think about what people should be doing in their portfolios and the answer probably is nothing you should be rebalancing uncertainty certainly leads to volatility which leads to opportunities well
2: I think time. let's talk about what we can and cannot do going forward and I think mark brings up a really good point about confidence and confidence numbers that we saw this week suggested that they have begun to wane just a bit
4: right and that's uh, certainly one of the variables you know people often ask you know how are you going to protect me from a recession, and one of the things you can look at are leading economic indicators, measures of consumer and business confidence, and to the degree that those are buoyant and at high levels, the odds of a recession are very low, but as they start to roll over to lower levels or miss expectations on the downside. Uh, then the risks obviously increase. I mean, we did see a consumer confidence report this week that was much weaker than expected. It was expected to be about 130, came in at 125. The number doesn't really mean anything other than the fact that it's a very elevated number. Consumers have been confident, as witnessed by job growth, wage growth, and the like. The other thing that was interesting about that was the expectations versus present situation. I mean, expectations is really what drives markets, not present situation. And expectations have gotten more muted. So, to the that the consumer is retrenching a little bit. You know, Dave, as you know, we've seen delinquencies rise a little bit in car loans and in student loans and the like. Uh, We do have to be a little bit more circumspect about trying to to read the tea leaves and get ahead of where where this economy is going.
2: And you look at those exact same things, and and it's really the issue becomes – Is it an economic issue, or is it really a breakdown of social fabric? You know, can you have a conversation? And all of that leads to confidence. We have saw CEO confidence begin to decline because of potential uncertainty. Now, you can talk about, you know, that could be the Chinese tariff issue, or it could be something else, but we're starting to to be concerned about that number because what happens in the boardrooms, of course, determines lots of things. For example, capital expenditures, which is called CapEx, as you know, Mark, And you look at other things that, you know, should they buy stock back? Should they not hire? Should they not build? Should they not do these things? That's a number that we have to pay attention
3: to. It certainly is. And Derek, to your point, you know, 125 is a number that's lower than expected. Putting it in perspective, I mean, the number for consumer confidence back in 2008 was about 20. So, I mean, you're talking about a market. It's a movement. And so it's worth noting. But to think about, you know, the consumer, the consumer is still spending. The unemployment rate is 3.7 percent. Wage inflation is still there a certain extent. There's a lot of things to keep your eye on, for sure. Consumer confidence is one of them, but we're certainly not in a panic
4: mode. No, we're not. You know, one of the questions that that I get often when I'm asked to join a, a client meeting is, you know, this market has been rallying since 2009. The economy's in its longest expansion ever, over 120 months. And so most people are assuming because it's been so long live that it's due to end anytime soon. And what I've often said is that, you know, this recovery has been lackluster relative to past recoveries. The housing market, we've recently actually seen really great data on the housing market. So that's kind of held it, held this recovery back a little bit, as well as these divisions in Rancor in Washington, which has basically led to a lot of inertia, you know, no movement on infrastructure, you know, just consistent, you know, attacks and things that really lead us nowhere, which is kind of frustrating. Frustrated me regardless of what my political persuasion is and I just feel like at this point we're in, coming into the end of the year the economy is, is still good in the United States and I think we just need to wait and see and, and approach this thing tactically and intelligently.
1: Derek Felsky chief investment officer at Annex Wealth Management we're on a break gonna be back in a bit still to come on the show Randy Winkler from our financial planning department uh, talks about common questions that he encounters in uh, financial planning meetings with clients. It's not all of them, but it's some of them, and it's really good. And it'll be a great demonstration of how that team thinks. Also on the way, Jill Martin, who heads up our estate planning team, mistakes with beneficiaries. Boy, can that cost you and uh, create a lot of problems. She's going to run through a bit of a problem, kind of a common problem that's on the way on Money Talk on Annex Wealth Management. It is ten fourteen. This is WTMJ. A Barron's
0: top advisor. A member of the Financial Times Top 300 and a Journal Sentinel Top Workplace. Know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. And we're back. It's Money Talk, Annix Wealth Management, Saturday, September
1: 28th. I'm Danny Clayton. Mark Oswald is here, Derek Felski, and Dave Spano. We really should do a podcast because during the commercial break, it was a spirited discussion. Should we put that on the radio now?
2: Of course not, yeah. because it's politically motivated. But, you know, what, when people listen to the show, it is how can we help their financial situation? And I think that's the takeaway. It's not what side of the aisle do you sit on? The reality is what should you do if things get uncertain? And both Mark and Derek alluded to it. And it starts with really understanding your portfolio. And if you had to make some moves or if there was a pullback, what do you do in your portfolio? And Derek, you started on down the road of saying, understand your risk tolerance. And Mark, you brought that up. But knowing what you own in your portfolio is really the first step. A lot of advisors are going to look at an account
3: and they don't look at the family, the household, and say, what's your true exposure to equity markets or bond markets or international markets? Should it be more, should it be less? How do you be tactical right now? So looking at a holistic view of a family, of a household, and saying, this is your true asset allocation today, is an important first step. Once you do that, and that's Dave, what you've talked about, the mishmash in the past, people who've done things throughout their lives, we all have, right, and collected investments along the way, and it might be an annuity contract or a mutual fund, or whatever it might be, But laying that out for the first time for some people is really eye-opening. And then going through the risk tolerance exercise and matching those two things together. This is what you own. This is what your risk profile looks like. And this is going to be what impacts your financial plan.
2: Yeah, so lessons that I've learned having gone through a couple of these is obviously know what you own, why you own it, and what you're paying for it. And the other thing, Derek, that you brought up, which is a really good sign, is pay attention to the signs down the road. And we look at a number of them. You look at leading indicators. You started to talk about the length of the bull market. And these are indicators that we need to pay attention to.
4: Yeah, we also look at things like credit conditions, you know, how's the high yield market Performing relative to the stock market, high yield investors tend to panic first, primarily because high yield bonds suffer greatly during a period of recession where you see higher default risk. But again, you know we have the accommodative central banks, and Marty Zweig said a long time ago, "Don't fight the Fed." That's one of the three tactical triggers I certainly pay attention to. Another one is don't fight the trend, and finally, beware the, of the crowded extremes. And when I look at the flows out of U.S. stocks since the bull market began in 2009, I would say we're nowhere near an extreme in terms of enthusiasm about the U.S. equity markets. Certainly overseas markets have been more challenging, but they do offer great diversification potential against the currency. Uh, They have more stronger valuation support, and I would argue, Mark, that if we do get any kind of trade deal, that Europe will be advantaged disproportionately because such a much larger percentage of GDP overseas is generated via trade. I think people should take a breath and go through and say, all right, exactly
2: what does it look like and what are the indicators because there is a lot of positive signs out there and I want people to remember those.
3: And I think it comes down to the fundamentals. It's easy to fall into the trap of headlines and, and political scare tactics and things like that, that that we all live through. But looking at your portfolio again from a fundamental standpoint, when the coming week we're going to start to have earnings numbers again. You look at what companies are doing you know, in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter, we get into the holidays season, and then the first quarter of next year is going to be here before you know it. Go back to the fundamentals. Go back to thinking about what's in your portfolio, and as you said, Dave, why do you own it? What place does it have in your portfolio? What purpose does it serve? But if you have never had that free portfolio review done, or if it's been a while since you've done that, there's a good chance that this market has skewed you out of balance. Because you've got an S&P 500 that's up double digits. You've got a bond market that has rallied. You've got a lot of different things going on, Derek, that probably lead to a break. The thing that you've talked to me about lot is in our investment committee is thinking about again your risk profile versus what you own that would be a really healthy thing to do right now no matter who you are no matter where you're at in your financial journey
1: this is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Uh, location, Selm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, downtown, inside the Pfister. Our newest branch is in Madison. And then, of course, if you can hear WTMJ and a uh, physical location, isn't convenient, no problem. We use something called Annex Everywhere. Complete details at AnnexWealth.com. While you're there, click that Get Started button. Get that free portfolio analysis, which includes the annuity analysis. If you've got those in your portfolio, what are they? Sometimes they can be confusing. Sometimes they can be great. Other times uh, might not be the perfect fit. We can look that over. And again, that's very quick. Just click that Get Started button. The website, AnnexWealth.com. It is 1021. This is Money Talk on WTMJ.
0: The longest running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. What
1: are some of the more frequent questions asked by clients during meetings at Annex Wealth Management? Let's find out. Randy Winkler is manager financial planning at Annex. He's also a CFP. Welcome back. Thanks, Danny. These aren't all the questions we get, but they're common enough that let's cover some here. All right. Fantastic. All right. One of the most asked questions we hear in clients with our meetings is, should I pay off my
5: mortgage? Yeah, that's a good one. This is definitely the most common thing that we hear. People just want to get rid of their mortgage. And more often we hear, I'm going to pay off my mortgage. And then we talk about whether that's a good idea or not.
1: Working toward that is always a good idea. And if you can pay it off early, that's not a bad idea, right?
5: Well, it depends. (laughs) Oh, here we go. All right. You you have to look at a number of different things. Uh, Mortgage rates are so low right now that... It's very cheap money. I know that's kind of an, a strange concept, but it's very inexpensive to have a mortgage. You're paying some interest rates on it, but if you're at three or 4%, mathematically speaking, you might want to keep that forever. Now, there's some benefits to paying it off, you know, psychological, emotional, your cash flow increases, but the question really comes down to where are you going to get the money to pay that off? Mm-hmm. If you've got it sitting in the bank and it's earning a quarter percent, well, yes, then you're much better off paying that off, but if you're taking it out of an IRA, which is where we commonly see people have the, the bulk of of their money, it doesn't mm. make sense most of the times. So if you look at it, if you're in a very low tax bracket, you might be 10 or 12. That's still considerably more than your mortgage. We have some people at 22, 24, 32 becomes extremely expensive to pay off that mortgage. So it's that's generally not the right thing to do. You take them through the process. That's what financial planning is about. Right. We can actually put a number on there and say, OK, you're going to pay this much in interest on your mortgage and you're going to pay this much in taxes taking it out of your IRA. And sometimes when people see that and they say, OK, I've got a very small number on the one side and a gigantic number on the other, the mortgage doesn't quite look so bad.
1: Another one that people ask about is the lump sum pension decisions. First off, what exactly does that mean? What, what do they need
5: to decide? Right. A lot of companies in the past had pensions and a lot of companies are moving away from that now because it gets away from their area of expertise. So if you're a manufacturing firm and you have a pension, you know how to manufacture. You don't know how to manage a big sum of money. A lot of people are going to a 401k where you're kind of responsible for managing your own money and and the companies will give you all the tools there. So the pensions are a lot less popular than they used to be. So a lot of companies are saying, well, we don't want to be in the pension business anymore. We're going to give you an option here. You can continue to be in the pension plan, or we'll give you a lump sum. We'll give you a a dollar amount that you can walk away and we're done, you're done, you've got it right there. And you gotta kind of sharpen the pencil and make some decisions. What are those decisions based on then? So the first thing we want to look at is what rate of return would you have to earn on that lump sum to match what you're getting from the pension. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that you had a pension that was $1,000 a month and they offered you a $100,000 lump sum. Which do you do? So the first thing we do, we annualize your pension. So you're $1,000 a month and you're getting $12,000 a year. How much would you need to earn on your $100,000 lump sum to get $12,000 a year? That's 12%. That would be a very difficult rate of return to get. So in that case, you probably want to take the pension. It's not quite that simple because you're not just getting interest. You're also getting principal back. They also factor in how long you're going to be getting the money. But in that particular example, if you had a 25-year time frame, your actual payout ratio would be 11.2%. So still, fantastic rate of return. You'd want to choose the pension. Now let's knock that down a little bit. Let's say you're getting $100 a month. So if we annualize that, it's $1,200. What would you need to earn on 100000 to get $1,200, one2 percent I think we can do that pretty safely. You could get a, a CD and do that. Then you'd want to take the lump sum. So from a mathematical standpoint, that's where we start. When we start getting into some of the other issues, it's how strong is the pension? You know, a lot of these pensions have not been managed very well, and they're on the verge of breaking down. So even if mathematically it made sense to take it, you might say, I don't trust this is going to be around. Then you might want to take the lump sum. Uh, you also might want to look at things like life expectancy. If the pension makes sense, but nobody in your family's lived past the age of 70, you know, you might want to take the, the lump sum there you, so you have something to pass on to your heirs once you're gone. There's also the uh, survivorship option. So you could get, in my example before, let's say you get $1,000 a month just on your life, but you die, that's it. You could say, well, I want my wife to be protected too. So I said, well, we'll give you $800 a month and it will last for both of your lives. And there's 50% survivor benefits and 75, and it's adding kind of an insurance element to it to make sure that you're protected. So there's a lot that factors into it, but we do this probably 10, 20 times a week where it comes up, walking people through this. So there's there's no right or wrong answer when you just get it. You gotta dig into it a little bit.
1: Got it, we've got time for one more. Um, These are commonly asked questions in client meetings, not all of them, but some commonly asked ones. What is a Roth conversion, and when, and should I do
5: one? That's another great question. So a Roth conversion is when you take money out of your IRA or your 401k or some tax deferred vehicle, pay income taxes on it now, put it in the Roth and then never pay taxes again. So you might say, well, why would I want to pay the taxes now when I can defer it? So a lot of times we'll look at a time frame. Let's say that you're retiring at 65 and you have to start taking required minimum distributions at 70. So you've got a five-year period of time that your income tax rate might be very low. So we might say, hey, let's take some money out of your IRA. You don't need it for spending. Pay the taxes on it. Convert it over to the Roth IRA so that we can start building that Roth bucket. Your required minimum distribution goes down because your IRA is smaller. So when you have less control over your tax situation at 70 and a half when RMBs kick in, you've lowered the dollar amount. So you're prepaying the taxes at a lower point. That sounds a little confusing. That's okay because that's
1: what we do th- with our financial planning team at Annex Wealth Management. Whew, Randy, that was a lot. Randy is manager financial planning and a CFP at Annex. Thank you. For for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. We love
5: doing this kind of thing.
1: They do. And uh, you can put us to work. Just go to annexwealth.com, click that get started button. We've got that planning team, the investment team, the tax team, the estate team. Uh, know the difference. It's a huge one. Annexwealth.com. Team Tech
0: Trust. Money Talk is straight talk from a local only fiduciary. It's time to know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ.
1: Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. This is a team segment. Women, wine, and investing with confidence. Joining me, Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development. I like the way you teach. (laughs)
6: <laughs> with the wine. Huh? It you involves like fermented beverages. Infusion.
1: Derek Felsky, our chief investment officer. Hey, Derek. Hi, Danny. How are you?
4: Good. So you've done this uh, at least once, right? Well, I have. I mean, Deanne typically leads, you know, leads the presentation, covers a lot of myriad of subjects. And, you know, I pipe in when I feel it's appropriate or and, and or when someone asks a question from the audience. Very nice. Deanne, why don't you give us the whole rundown on this?
6: Well, and, you know, I, I'm glad Derek joins me. I think it's important to have access to our chief investment officer there. So it's kind of neat. Derek, you're the one man that we allow in the room for Vino.
4: (laughs) Well, it is a little intimidating, I have to say.
6: (laughs) Oh, you love it. So this is actually uh, downtown Milwaukee at Vino in their tasting room. And we do intersperse wine tastings throughout the evening and some artisan cheeses and and little snacky uh, appetizers, too, while we do a dive into really um, basic differences in stocks and bonds and, and asset allocation and expectations from a portfolio. So It's really important that uh, Derek is there to chime in and to offer some commentary on what someone can expect when they have a professional actively managing their portfolio.
4: Yeah, what I sometimes find in that is, you know, sometimes people are a little shy about asking questions. Perhaps they don't have the, the knowledge base that they feel comfortable asking, you know, esoteric questions about. But what I find is it's a really great group. They follow up with very intelligent questions. And as I've often said, women are often much better investors than men because they check their emotions.
1: Deanne, when does this happen and how can people get involved? And we should say, how can women get involved? Because again, Derek's the one guy in the room. <laughs>
6: uh, this is happening again at Vino Third Ward in downtown Milwaukee with convenient close by parking. It's happening on Tuesday, October the 8th. You can go to our events tab of Annex wealth.com and sign up our events for women and wealth here at annex are always bring a friend they're always complimentary um you can grab a friend sign up online and head down to vino third ward to pick our chief investment officer Derek felsky's brain on tuesday october the 8th one other thing, too, that makes this a very unique event, we will have a sommelier who guides us through the wine tastings. So we'll be able to do some lovely pairings and uh, have a little bit better understanding of what it is that we're sipping.
1: Deanne, thank you very much and good luck with it.
6: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Complete details on our website, AnnexWealth.com. We'll just look for the events tab, and then look for women, wine, and investing with confidence. A baron's Top Advisor, a four-time member of the Financial Times Top 300, a 2019 Top Workplace, and a proud partner of UW Athletics. It's Annex Wealth Management, our website AnnexWealth.com. When you go there, click that Get Started button, get that free portfolio analysis. And also, uh, send us your Ask Annex questions. That is also there. Are you guys ready for this week? Yes, sir. Here we go. First one is from Carl with a K. Will the 25 basis point Fed cut really do much to help the economy?
2: And Carl asks a great question, and you have to say, what is in the Fed's toolbox and lowering interest rates to spur on the economy is one of those things. However, I've been arguing for a significant amount of time, that's not why they're lowering rates. They're doing it because they're getting pressure from across the pond, Derek, because of the massive amount of negative yields in Europe.
4: Right. So U.S. interest rates kind of got out of whack on a global basis, which can be problematic because that can lead to to an unwarranted tightening of financial conditions, either through currency market adjustments or or other interest rate adjustments. Uh, The other factor that I would point to also is that with rates this low, the idea that it's going to move the economy a lot is really kind of asking too much, but it should give the Fed the necessary um, cushion that we might need to absorb any shocks in the interim as these trade negotiations proceed.
1: Thanks for the question, Carl. Ask Annex from Roger, I'm still worried about a U.S. recession. What should I watch?
2: Well, you know, recessions are always concerning because they're generally tied to bear markets. And, of course, nobody wants to see the bear market as defined, Mark, by down 20%. And nobody wants to see that in the equities market. So there are things that you need to look at and things that we do watch. Yield curve is one of them, slowing economic growth. And we've covered a lot of that. I think the concern for an individual person, Mark, is to look at their portfolio. For
3: sure. And when you start thinking about recession, you're talking about negative GDP, right? So two quarters in a row of negative GDP or negative growth in the economy. So I think one thing that you can look at for sure is the consumer. Continue to look at the consumer and see what the health of the consumer is, because GDP is 70 percent consumer spending. So employment is a good number and uh, certainly wage inflation is a good number. And, And just the consumer confidence we talked about earlier in the show. Those would be things to look for.
1: It's Ask Annex. Next one from Michael. For budgeting purposes, what would be your best guess for the S&P 500 equity market returns next year?
2: You know, we've done that for years on the show, and it's really not uh, you know, uh, some magic work that, that we look at. And Derek, explain to everybody you know, the number, how we get to the number, and how the multiples work. And we haven't even got into multiple expansion, all those crazy things, but we're looking for a number from the S&P 500 next year.
4: Three things basically will drive the performance of stocks next year. One will be, what is the dividend yield? Secondly, what is the increase in S&P operating earnings? And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, is what multiple, in other words, what PE multiple will investors place on those two numbers? And and frankly, if you just assume no PE expansion, right now we're looking for roughly a 6% increase in operating earnings for the S&P 500, 2% inflation, 4% nominal growth. And then a 2% dividend yield. So that arguably leads to a total return of 8%. Now, that's assuming P.E. multiples stay flat and our estimates are right on target, which they probably are not. So there's going to be a lot of wiggle room around there. The interesting thing, too, is this year This year has been driven by multiple expansion. Last year was driven by earnings growth. And perhaps next year will be some combination of the two. So just as an example, guys, if you were to
3: take all of the companies in the S&P 500 and take their earnings and add them all together, you'd come up with a number, right? Let's say 100 for instance, that would be all the earnings from all those companies together. Then you take that multiple. That's the earnings part, the E part of the P/E ratio. The price then, the price of the index is a function of taking some factor and applying it to that number. A healthy number is 16, 17, 18 times. If you take that number and multiply it by 170, that gives you an index of what you expect it to be at the end of 2020.
1: That is Ask Annex on uh, Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. It is 1042. I'm Danny Clayton. Um, If you have questions about Annex Wealth, The first place you should go is just at AnnexWealth.com. It's a good, clean website, uh, well laid out. You can click that Get Started button. You can sign up for the Axiom, which is our weekly newsletter. Don't need to be a client for that. You can subscribe to the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel. A lot of what we do on the radio winds up there for uh, later reference. It's really good stuff. But again, AnnexWealth.com. Location-wise, Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, downtown, inside the Pfister. We're now in Madison, and uh, you can... uh, you can skip the uh, the brick and mortar entirely by using Annex Everywhere. It's just that easy. Details at AnnexWealth.com. Planning and investment
0: insight from a fee-only fiduciary. And we put that in writing. You're listening to Money Talk on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's team tech trust,
1: making sure your beneficiaries are properly designated. Really important. Jill Martin is our estate planning attorney at Annex. She heads our estate planning team, and she joins us to talk about this. Hello, Jill. Hi, Danny. We hear about this often. Not keeping beneficiaries current can be a costly mistake. How many times have you seen the story about where somebody's, like, ex-wife Wound up with money? Too many. Too many. Too many. Let's do a segment about that sometime. So (laughs) we're going to cover a fictitious couple that illustrates why this can be complicated and why paying attention is so important. And we're also going to define some terms. So it's a story problem. This isn't the train leaving westbound at twenty miles an hour and the not other. Not quite, oh, but we could
7: definitely turn it into that if we right. wanted
1: to. You have a hypothetical situation.
7: I do. So what we've got is we've got Doug and Sarah, who they are on their second marriage. They both have children from a prior marriage. And But so, none together, right? None together. Okay. And that's Correct.
1: where that's where this is important. At,
7: well, and that would be our hypothetical with the train. Let's got get it. it really complicated. So I didn't want to go too complicated to start. But so Doug has a daughter, Mary. And Sarah has twin sons, Brad and Chad. Perfect. Okay. So we're just talking about the IRAs here and and to not overly complicate it. But Doug has a $500,000 IRA. He's named Sarah as his spouse. His
1: wife. His wife. All right.
7: As the primary beneficiary. Okay. And then he's got his daughter, Mary, as the contingent beneficiary. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. Okay. Sarah also has an IRA, about 200000 She names Doug, her husband, as the primary beneficiary. And then Brad and Chad are the contingent beneficiaries. Okay. Okay.
1: So, so far, we're pretty clean.
7: Right. So, let's talk about exactly what that is, right? So, a primary beneficiary is the named person or people that, if they are alive when you die, they will take control of that account and that asset so that it's theirs to do with as they see fit. Pretty simple. Sure, a contingent or an alternate beneficiary, or a secondary beneficiary, depending on the type of account, that person or people are only going to take if all of the primary beneficiaries have died before you did. Okay, so is
1: that a stopgap sort of? Because if if your primary changes, say like they died, you would need to put in new primaries, right?
7: Yeah, it's basically so you don't have to put in a new primary beneficiary, because that happens a lot, where you name a primary, that person has died, so then it's the contingents that take. But what people get really confused about, especially in second marriage situations, is, is what that contingent does not do, it doesn't mean that in Doug's situation, it doesn't mean that Sarah gets that IRA While she's alive and then when Sarah passes, it doesn't go to Mary Mm. and people get a little confused by that. They just kind of assume that Doug's IRA is ultimately going to end up with Mary because she's the contingent. The reality is what happens is. Sarah gets the beneficiary. She's the beneficiary. She gets that IRA. It's her account to do with as she sees fit. So she can turn around and put her own beneficiaries on that.
1: So in a case where Doug would die first, his IRA goes to his wife, Sarah. Correct. Okay.
7: And then what she normally would do is she would either combine that with her existing IRA or open a new account. But she has full control over that account to do with as she sees fit. So guess what? If she gets remarried for a third time, she can name her now third husband on that as the beneficiary if she wants to. So what happens is... Mary is never really going to get that IRA unless Sarah specifically names her as one of the beneficiaries. So instead, it would probably go to Sarah's children, which would be Brad and Chad, not to Mary.
1: Is that being disinherited?
7: It is a little bit, right? That's the
1: word you always see in the movie. I'm writing you
7: out of the will. You're you're
1: disinherited. So she's out, right? She
7: she is, right? Unless, Unless Doug has provided for her in some other capacity as part of his estate plan, as it relates to this particular account that we're talking about, because Sarah was alive when Doug passed away, that's Sarah's account's. Mary will never get anything from that.
1: We're talking about making sure beneficiaries are properly designated. So um, this is a hypothetical, Doug and Sarah, their second marriage, they both have adult children. Doug has one daughter, Sarah has two sons. So if Sarah dies first, her IRA goes to Doug, the husband, he could combine it with that IRA and he's got full control as well to name new beneficiaries.
7: Correct, or what he could do is, is he combines it with his existing IRA and if he doesn't update the beneficiaries, what happens is his daughter, Mary, is the contingent beneficiary. So as long as she's alive when he passes, now that full 700000 becomes hers. So now Brad and Chad have been disinherited from sarah's ira okay
1: so that that can get bumpy then okay in the case where they would die simultaneously
7: so dying simultaneously is the one time where both sets of children would inherit here okay and simultaneously can mean multiple different things depending on what the estate plan says might be within a five-day period it could be within a 60-day period depending on the terms okay but basically what happens is both Doug and Sarah are treated as being predeceased to each other, which means there is no primary beneficiary on either one of their accounts that's living, which means then it passes to their contingent beneficiaries. So Doug's IRA goes to Mary, and Sarah's IRA goes to Brad and Chad. Mm, so that's mm-hmm. the one situation where the alternate or contingent beneficiaries would take.
1: See, and those are solid because those are clear lines. It might not be, quote, fair, right? And that's where the human part of the estate plan comes in.
7: It, it is. And and we use the the second marriage situation here is, is that's where things get a little muddier, right? If it's a first marriage and Doug leaves everything to Sarah and Sarah leaves everything to their three kids from their from their marriage, that's not as much of an issue because there isn't a disinheritance there. It's with these second marriages and blended families that we see a lot of, unintended consequences because people don't fully understand the contingent beneficiary situation.
1: And these are things you review when you're doing estate plans.
7: Absolutely. That is a critical piece. So doing the estate plan and the documents is really important, but then making sure that your beneficiary designations align with what your true intent is to make sure that plan follows through with with what you want to have happen.
1: Amen to that. Jill Martin, our estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management, heading up our estate planning team. Thank you. Good stuff.
7: You're welcome.
1: How are things looking, folks? How is your investment and retirement planning coming? How about your tax planning? How about your estate planning? Annex Wealth Management does it all. Start at AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button.
0: W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studio. this is News Radio WTMJ. Custom-tailored investment and in retirement planning from a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management for
1: Saturday, September 28th. I'm Danny Clayton, Mark Oswald here, Derek Felsky and Dave Spano.
2: You know, uh, we had an interview earlier this week, Mark, that uh, we thought was interesting. The idea of being a fiduciary still gets a lot of attention, but there's still a lot of confusion and when i explained to this uh, prospective employee that the suitability standard those that is most that is the most common standard of care by the financial industry is not that of a fiduciary they did not understand that and so one is driven by advice and one is driven by product sales it's worth repeating
3: it certainly is because it's gotten muddied and it's gotten confusing for our listeners and certainly for consumers that are out there in the marketplace to understand the difference between a fiduciary and now someone who's going to act in your best interest. And don't you say, isn't that the same thing? Well, the fact of the matter is is that it's gotten so convoluted and so muddied that those are two different standards of care. The fiduciary has a legal obligation to act in your best interest at all times. These people who are the commission-based salespeople, product salespeople, who are working under this best interest thing, and that may go away now, Regulation BI, who we'll knows? See. We're, we're, we're going to see because going of to
2: happen. what happened in the DOL this That's week. That's
3: correct. We have a new uh, head of the Department of Labor, which is Eugene Scalia, and. And Scalia's son, so you know he fought against the fiduciary rule, the the DOL standard that came out of Dodd
2: Frank, and which of course was the Supreme Court justice who passed away. Correct. Uh, a couple years ago, and
3: so he was successful in the Fifth Circuit in getting that law, that that rule booted out. What his role is going to be in investor protection is yet to be seen. Certainly, there is this confusion that's been created over the last ten years in the marketplace. It's so important, people, you know, to know the difference between a fiduciary and somebody who is acting in your best interest. And as silly as that sounds, those are two different standards of care. Ask the person that you're thinking about working with, or that you're working with, are you a fiduciary? Are you willing to put that in writing? I think that. that That's where the buck stops because if somebody's not willing to do that, then they're probably going to be a suitability salesperson, commission-based person who doesn't have the legal obligation to act in your best interest at all times, despite what they say.
2: And that's exactly right. And we've experienced that. Is yes, you know, a potential client said I asked that question. If you're a fiduciary, and the guy at the brokerage firm said yes, I am. Of course, uh, that needs clarification. He
3: forgot the comma sometimes, right? You know, and and that's the problem with it is that you get to these things where that you can have a relationship where you've got a, somebody who's wearing two different hats. In some cases, they're a fiduciary. In other cases, they're not. They sell products to you. They're not. And, and so it gets really, really difficult to protect yourself as an investor. Work with somebody who's a fee-only fiduciary all the time, and then you're protected by someone who's acting in your best interest at all times
0: advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.